All right, you start talking about the sand, bro, because I hate sand. It's coarse and rough, and it gets everywhere. Well, what's your favorite kind of sand, though? Like, do you prefer, do you like it on the beach, or do you prefer, I like, like I like the, the white, sandy beaches of Sandestin, Florida. Mm, I did like that Santa beach. Rosa Beach. The soft, white, sandy beaches of Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Got me there. Um, yeah. So we find. I mean, oh, we can also you can edit this part out. The Grand Turismo trailer and watch it. Well, good because it's not good. I like your. I mean, we can just start. That's fine. We'll start with it. But I like your comment about like, oh, let's just send the best Call of Duty player into war. I, yeah. That's I mean that's what this pot is. It's um, almost it's almost as bad as the concept of pixels. Cause it's just like you got someone who's good at video games who has to now take on the mission of saving the world because of his video game skills. Fair. Yeah. Uh so the, the Grand Charisma trailer. Uh David Harbour, Elena Bloom. Not much, not much to uh pull from there, but it stars this. It's about this young kid who plays Gran Turismo and he loves it. And his dad's like, you can't play video games your whole life. And then it quickly turns into like, Elena Bloom is, I guess, some billionaire who creates this event for fans to compete when a spot on a, t- a racing team uh, for like the real life Gran Turismo. And it's basically, basically that. And yeah, I made, I made the joke. Uh, why don't we just send our best COD players to war? You know, it, I don't know. This comes out in August. It it looks very cringe because and and the real shocker here is that it, it comes from the director. Apparently, you can't just fucking type in that shit. Okay, I'm getting old. It's too well, early for me to not. If if one of the movies we watched has anything to say about it, you can't always trust a director. It's Mel Bloomkamp. Oh, Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, see how much District I District Nine. Yeah, this is the director. Yeah, and I mean, he kind of started very well with District Nine, and I liked Elysium. I thought Elysium was good, and then never saw Chappie. But oh, dude, I like Chappie. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, he really kind of disappeared. He had. An alien five project in the works in development for so long, and even Sigourney Weaver was like in support of the plot and all this, and it kind of just fell apart. So, yeah, uh, that not looking forward to that one, but let's get into the sand, like you said. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we we got the the mag- magnetic dropping of, of the trailer for Doom Part Two, and it it looks it looks sick like i and i don't know what's going on in this world i'll admit it but it looks very sick yeah exactly we're in the second part of this movie and i still can't fucking tell what's really going on mhm this reminds and my me my other and i mean like it seems like it's I don't know if there's a part three coming that we don't know about, but it seems like if at least from this trailer, we're not wrapping up jack shit. Half of them are doing one thing. 
with the Zendaya and the Worms and the Timothy Chalamets, and then you also got Bald Elvis over here fighting in black and white, and Florence Pugh narrating and just being herself. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't over the hills about Dune 1. I thought it was pretty good and te- and technically amazing, but I en- I enjoyed it. I didn't I didn't love it, but now I mean now we're getting part two, so I don't know. I guess I'll get to rewatch part one. I I think a lot of it comes though from like our passion for Denis Villeneuve, and we just we love everything this guy's been out here. Um, well, popping off, but like passing for this film, let alone just the. The, the franchise level of event that this is going to be will be exciting. I didn't see Christopher Walken, so they're like still hiding. I was, was going to say, I, I I didn't catch him, and I'm looking at the casting list. Apparently, Tim Blake Nelson is in this as well, so that'd be, that'd be interesting for him to pop up, but I was I was very much a fan of seeing um, Josh Brolin, because he supposedly died off camera in part one, but people that are familiar with the story and the book know that he's not dead and we had a certain buddy who you know refused to believe me to tell him the spoiler and now when he watches the trailer he'll get he'll get that reaction held live unless he wants to hold out in that way in that way he can uh yeah i mean this i'm I'm very curious to see how this plays at the oscars though because part part one was big commercial success for what it had to be with with covid restraints and whatnot i was about to say yeah, it, it did pretty well in with the with this at the Oscars. Yeah. I don't think I, Dune did end did Dune end up with a best picture nom? Yeah. I don't think it gets it in like a year like last year. Really? Uh dude, do you see the competition was a lot stiffer than in twenty twenty. You you mean so the sorry. So the Oscars we just had. Right. Saying in that, if if Dune came out last year, I I say it doesn't make a get a Best Picture nomination. Oh, it you're forgetting about Elvis, dude. <laughs> I'm I'm sticking with what I said, bro. The uh, for a reminder, like the big thing with so when this one came out, uh, part one, the Oscar it won Best Sound, Visual Effects, Production, Score, Editing. And was nominated for picture, makeup, costume, cinematography, screenplay. Mm-hmm. It was famously left out of mm-hmm. director for Denis, and that was, I think, the big part. But I, uh, oh, sorry, one, the one cinematography. This list was just all over the place. But I, I, I think it strongly competes this year too, though. I, I mean, I don't think it hurts. Um, one thing that I liked about this one, though, is like I, I remember I took my brother to watch part one, and he actually and on IMAX and he enjoyed the fuck out of it like yeah we don't know I told him like hey I don't know what's going on so don't feel bad for you not knowing what's going on and he and the fact like to get my brother to enjoy something especially a film of this length he was totally on board with it and I like that so I try to I try to hold those memories close to my heart I just can't wait to uh, bug James about how many things that Dune stole from Star Wars That was a really fun bit I did for a while. <laughs> it's anything Star Wars, bro. No, well, no, it's I mean, I get it. 
George Lucas took a lot of inspiration from Dune while making Star Wars. I just think it's more fun to say that Star Wars came first because it irritates him. Mm -hmm. But anyways, look Um, at that. Look at that. We don't have a 45-minute long trailer section for once. We can actually just start talking about the show. This is how I went. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. King of the world! If you don't have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! Welcome back to the Sin Arrivals podcast once again for another week of movie talking and chatting and arguing and fighting, but maybe also loving. Who knows? First and foremost, me and Brent are back with a couple of new movies, but we also got a good little theme for you with it being the early uh, weeks of of May and basically the first week of the summer movie season, we're going to go ahead and give us, uh, g- give you guys our top 10 most anticipated summer movies of the year, even though we've already dropped our most anticipated movies of the year. They're going to be a lot of the same, but who knows? Maybe we change their order around after other things. Who knows? But first, well, I was going to say this is a long and weighted movie, but honestly, up until like two weeks ago, I forgot this was coming out. I forgot who directed it. I forgot who was in it. And then I saw that it was coming out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely give that a watch when it drops. And that is the newest Disney live action remake because, you know, we all everywhere love all these same movies that we keep getting from Disney where they're just doing it over again and somehow making them worse. Uh, but this is Peter and Wendy directed by surprisingly David Lowry, the director of The Green Knight and Ghost Story and uh, what else am I missing? I know he did a, a less successful one that I'm missing. He, he did the live action adaptation of Peach Dragon, which was fantastic. Oh, yes. That actually. OK, so uh, let me let me backtrack because some of these live action remakes that Disney's made are, are good. And like two of the best ones are Pete's Dragon, which, yeah, he did. But then also The Jungle Book is my other one that's like actually top tier. But, yeah, it was kind of a bummer seeing how well he was able to handle Pete's Dragon, which actually, which is a live-action movie, actually. So, is it part of the, the, the live-action animated remakes? Kind of, but not really, but who knows. Um, but this movie was just, like, very okay, and that's it. Nothing special, nothing new, nothing extravagant, no reason for this movie to exist other than for them to do it and dump it on Disney+. Plus. And it just really kind of is disappointing because Peter Pan being the story that it is and like the like timeless story and there's remake and remaster and and just different versions of it all over the the, the timeline. And this is just another one. And that sucks. Like, that's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, I didn't finish this. I watched I watched half of it 
And I say this as I'm literally looking directly in front of me, my fucking Green Knight poster. Mm-hmm. And you guys know my love for this director. Uh, and I just, for some reason, the story of kind of, it's not that I've seen it so many times. It's just the children actors I couldn't, couldn't bear with for, for a lot of part there. I mean, I, I don't know. It, there was a lot to take there. I was enjoying Jude Law having the time of his life. I I was enjoying Jim Gaffigan as Mr. Smee. But I like, couldn't even recognize him as that guy though. What do you mean? Like I knew it was him, but I just I also just I, I mean I, I guess. I liked him. I liked the I liked the the kids that were made up the Lost Boys, but them and Mr. Smee just didn't get like enough time to shine. Uh, like, I do, it's I mean, called I Peter, do plan... Pan, and Wendy, and that's pretty much who we focus on. I do have to. I will finish it. I just that night I had a had a dinner. Um, but uh, there is. I made. Bear with me, folks. I made a spreadsheet. Um, I know you're you're shocked to hear this, <laughs> but uh, I made a spreadsheet of all the live action Disney films and like what they did Uh-oh. to box office and. And regardless of that, but I was just fascinated to see what we're still getting. Um, we're uh, at the end of this month, we're getting Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. and we've we've known about that. Uh, next year, we're getting Snow White, which I'm kind of giving the benefit of the doubt because I like the cast they have involved with that Gal Gadot and Rachel Zegler. Like that one could be more promising. The more head scratching what we're gonna have here is a Mufasa prequel origin story uh, what, what's more head scratching about it is that it's directed by oscar winning director barry jenkins of moonlight fame thank you <laughs> because that was not on my bingo card and also they're i they haven't said whether or not they're gonna like reach out to james earl jones but he's like old as fuck he's so old he won't even voice darth vader anymore they had to create like an ai sort of thing so are they gonna use that since it's just disney proprietary technology are they gonna like cast someone to play a young Mufasa? Like, or what? What? What are we gonna do here? And if we do, why is it gonna be uh, Michael B. Jordan? So, along with that, though, like this is—I don't know—I I became really fascinated with this list. But we have a live-action Lilo and Stitch, which yep. I, I hope that's good. Yeah, it has a, except, has except a cast. well, no, it. I, but that's the thing; it like has a cast, but there's been so many casting character. issues so so far. They. They announced that there wasn't going to be a character of Cobra Bubbles and it was going to re- be replaced by a native Hawaiian woman. And then fans reacted poorly and they were like, all right, fine. My, uh, something like like Van B or something B Vance or something. Courtney B Vance or something. Yes. Yes. Uh, He's going to play him or something or going to be the Cobra Bubbles. And now he's back in the movie. Uh, Apparently, the guy they casted to play David got removed from the project because of like tweets or something about. Something I can't remember exactly what it is, and I don't want to just like make a claim, but it when I heard it, I was like, Oh, that's just like not that bad and very weird. So now we are on our second David as well. People were complaining about how light skinned the, the person that they got to play Nani was, and how she wasn't like a thick queen, like all oh, the girl we fell in love with when we were children, blah blah blah. And and I mean, like, out of all of that, we still don't know what Stitch is going to look like. That's a worrisome thing. We at least have the original director who is coming back and was the voice of Stitch coming to be the voice of Stitch and also hopefully 
a part of the project creatively. But yeah, I mean, other than that, the Zach Galifianakis as Jumba casting is pretty good. But that's yeah, I, I just I, I've been a fan of Leland Stitch for a long time. Uh, we also it's top tier get, for me. Yeah, we're also gonna get a Guy Ritchie Hercules. Yeah, which yep. it's been in the works for a little bit. There's not much moving around on it. Um, and then there's rumors of a Cruella too because the first one did pretty well. It got very positive buzz. Uh, Tink, a live action Tinkerbell with Reese Witherspoon. Interesting. Um. One that was just confirmed that I don't even believe you and I talked about, but Aristocats, directed by Questlove. Oh, yeah. We didn't get yeah. to talk about it. That, dude, out of, like, everything, I'm, that might be my most promising one. If they if they lean into the musical uh, aspect of it, especially once till we get to the, everybody wants to be a cat, hallelujah. Like, that, dude, I mean, Questlove is the guy, and I loved Summer of Soul, so give it, like, let him just go buck wild with, the, with a bunch of animated cats. Uh, one that can quite frankly fuck off would be a live action Moana with uh, with The Rock. But I, I I have some of these circled that I saw, you know, rumored and whatnot. But a sword in the stone that would be that would be interesting in a way. I mean, the whole Excalibur. The problem is they're going to go through all their heavy hitters before they reach for those, and I think those have like movies like Sword in the Stone and Robin Hood and even like it's some of the like sketch like little short portions of the earliest wartime Disney films like Johnny Appleseed. We could make movies about those. We could actually rewrite and tweak like the narrative, even like Hunchback of Notre Dame. There it which is. is. Which is something that's they've the, that's if they were ever to make one of these rated R, they could do a live action Hunchback of Notre Dame, lean into like the like horrific aspects of that story, maybe actually kill off Esmeralda at the end, and then just finally make one of these live action movies for adults. But obviously, they're never going to do that. That's mar the market's always for everyone when it comes to Disney, so they're not rated E for yeah. everyone. Yeah. I. I, you, you've heard me say this like a broken record. I would love a live action Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. That would be a superb. And we've gone through like our own fan castings for this for so long. Had to dig through some notes, but like I would love to see the live action inspiration of that. Especially if like a lot of these though, if you look at it, I, I mean, I'm gonna work on adding this part to the list, but they get well respected directors. I mean, Tim Burton did a good portion of these live action movies, and then now you have Guy Ritchie. I mean, uh, John Favreau did a couple as well. John like they're, Favreau, they're not getting Tim Burton, know what Guy Ritchie, yeah. David Lowry. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I mean, it's uh, the yeah. ones that I have not seen out of these live actions though is the Maleficent. I've not seen those two. Um, yeah, but not a fan. To kind of like, I mean, to wrap up on all all this though is it's fascinating because you know this is what Disney does, but I do believe that there is something there in the world of Neverland. I, I think what peter pan and hook and the lost boys like what all those have uh out there that's it's an interesting storyline it's just it's like you know we joke about it but we when i was watching the beginning of it i was reminded of like all these other adaptations of that movie that came out and i completely forgot about the movie pan with hugh jackman playing blackbeard before <sighs> captain hook was mm -hmm. the main like as versus like i i started remembering like all this stuff and yeah i'm i'm excited to kind of 
give all these adaptations the benefit of the doubt until I watch them, and then I'm like, <laughs> what, what, what was I thinking? David Lauer is my guy, and I mean, fucking Green Knight, that movie, I just fucking love, and well, again, David Lowry. You didn't even get to like the best part of the movie, which was I know, the climax. Which is why I'm because gonna, I can is... I can admittedly say that the pirate battles and the stuff like that and the flying and all all of like the adventurous stuff from the Peter Pan story was there and was great. But the problem was it was missing like it was like such a gray palette. Like I like green is Peter Pan's color, but like the whole movie didn't need to be green. And like ugly and like there, this was a musical, but you can't, I can't remember any of the songs the pirates sang. And there is not even, they don't even have, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. That's like only maybe lightly added into the score. Um, And we never, they never spend very much time exploring Neverland. If, if anything, we're on pirate ships or in caves and that's it. And that's not what we wanted to see. Uh, I will say that one of the next things that David, Larry has upcoming is he's directing an episode of the Star Wars Skeleton Crew. Um, oh, that's so pretty funny. That's I'll be funny. I'll be dope. I'll be dope for that. But yeah, that I think that I think it's been a good time talking about that. Yeah, more than I thought because we did the whole Disney recap. But I'm always down to talk about Disney. You know me. How do we do yes. this? How do we make How do we make this feel natural? <laughs> well, I guess we don't. Sisu, um, got uh, Army John Wick. Uh, equalizer, ridiculous movie. Camp, the definition of campy. It's basically like, I think what was happening. Is <laughs> what like a, what was, an intro! Oh. So someone like they're just you know someone's just passing passing the pipe here, and they're like, wait a minute, I got an idea for a bag. Let's take John Wick, throw him in the 1940s with Nazis and gold. And that's basically what we got. Yeah, I, I, I might have overhyped this myself. I think I went in with very high expectations, and I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a good plot. I think the ninety-minute runtime was excellent. But there was a lot of parts where you had to suspend your belief on, like, how the fuck is this guy surviving this stuff? And that that goes on me too, though, is because other movies I kind of let it slide, but for some reason, when a plane crashes and Hughes manages to survive out of that, like, come on, that. I don't know. This guy. It was like a lot of things. Could have taken some notes from this guy. They 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 try to like write it off because they called him the unlit or like the immortal whatever, like the unkillable thing is like was his nickname. But dude, he (laughs) when he shoved a pickaxe into a plane and took off with it, I'm like, what is this dude, Spider Man? Like, what is happening here? Like you, like the, the Tom, we've we saw saw Tom Cruise actually hang on the outside of an airplane. My boy had to wear like special contacts because it would have dried out his eyes. It's just not feasible. And then he gets into the plane using the pickaxe. It's like no, 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 no. And for most of the movie, you're able to just like sit back and enjoy the ridiculous action that it's giving you. But then you get to this end and you like, obviously it affected you a lot more because I was surprised by your low rating. But yeah, I mean, I still had a good time with it because of its ridiculousness. You don't take it too seriously. Treat it like, like a lot of those scenes in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, just like it's a bunch of just killing Nazis and that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, you're very, you're very good on that one. I, I think this will be, um, oh, fuck. <clears throat> I, 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 yeah, yeah, we're, 
we're in a um a time where like we're we're getting movies like this and at least this hits theaters. This was a thought that I had when I was like driving home. Like this could have easily been a streamer movie. But so, I was kind of I was kind of glad yeah. that we got this in theaters at least. So I know this is like by the creative minds behind John Wick, but it's not like it wasn't directed by Chad Stilhelski, was it? Uh no. Wait two seconds and I'll be able to confirm that. Like who is the person that connects this with John Wick? I believe it was the producers, but give me a second. Directed by a guy named Jamari Hellinder, who I've not heard of before, sure. but you know, he's Finnish. A lot of these people were like sweet. Like I would say there is a guy who's very recognizable, and it's Eskel Eskel Henny. And you will recognize his face in so many films. Like he's always in the background in I, films. I recognize no one in this movie, bro. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, da, 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 da. But uh, yeah, I don't know exactly who it was, but like it, it, it clearly wasn't David Leach or Chad Stilhelski who are really the visionaries of John Wick, but it definitely still had that like elevated action that you can come to know from the John Wick franchise. So like as like a spiritual kind of like predecessor sort of situation to John Wick, I think this movie does work. Uh, but yeah, there's just like wh- there. Obviously, you have a suspension with disbelief when it comes to John Wick, but they, in those movies, are very locked in and key in on re- on realism. And, like, from, like, wounds that John Wick suffers to how many bullets he has loaded into one gun and how many tactical reloads he needs to do, and everything is down to, like, a, is like a minute detail, this... They definitely were like a little more fast and loose with in Sisu. So again, it was some of the same that you come to know and love from that. But like at the end of the day, it it, it does have a dip in quality because it is not of the same level of scrutiny as the John Wick movies, I guess. So it's 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 just basically from the the studio. So the people that you know help produce and get fun. Uh, okay. So yeah, everyone except for the creative minds behind it. Um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not so bad. I mean, we did. We yeah, we watched this. We caught this one last week when when uh, it was dropping. It's nice every now and then to watch. Just be able to watch a ninety-minute movie without expecting a whole lot. So it was, that was good. And again, like you said, in theaters, not just like on a streaming service that like you click on and you're like, yeah, that was whatever. Bye. And then forget about forever. Now the moment you have been waiting. Right. The conversation like the conversation of the summer, and it's only the first week. Because I mean, this is a movie that probably won't leave our thoughts for quite some time. I'm already starting to trickle upwards on my opinion on this movie after watching Guardians One and Two last night, because there are things that I keyed in on. Like I'm going to start with a thing like that I thought was going to be an issue that I had rectified by me watching Guardians 2 last night. So I never I've never noticed in Guardian or I never noticed in Guardians 3 that Star-Lord. This is not how I want to word this in Guardians 3. I never saw Star-Lord wearing his like mask, his iconic space mask that is like become like synonymous with his character is like his icon, whatever. He never wears the mask. And I was like, that's super annoying. What was Chris Pratt just like? I want them to see my face the whole time. That's obnoxious. 
But when I was watching Guardians Volume 2, you see, I saw that his mask got broken by Ego. So that's why he doesn't have it anymore. Well, look at you. I remember you were whispering to me about that. I'm like, where? why isn't he wearing his mask? He broke it in the last movie, and they actually stuck with that decision. He doesn't – I don't think he wears it in – well, actually, wait, but now he, but he does wear it in Infinity War and Endgame. You're great at this. I don't know. Anyways, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. James Gunn. They call themselves the Guardians of the James freaking. Gunn is back after being fired and asked back and then given a way better job by a different company. And so he definitely had his ha- he had his hands full when making this movie there is undeniable proof that he was working on so many things while Guardians 3 was in production he was finishing the suicide squad he was getting handed the DC universe he was working on peacemaker he was making a holiday special but then also this movie all at the same time and what we get here with Guardians of the Galaxy volume 3 is definitely at its core yet another fun, ridiculous space adventure with our Guardians of the Galaxy characters and their amazing chemistry as a as a unit. And we get that again for a third time. There's no problem. And, and at the end of the day, it feels like a James Gunn movie once again. So there was no tonal change in the movie. Uh, but I will say I came away with a couple more issues than I was really hoping uh, to leave with. And... I think I cry more when I watch Guardians. Mind you, I've watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 so, a lot. And almost every time I feel like I like that movie more as I watch it. And that that ending with father and son gets me every time. I thought I was going to be way more emotional in this third one. I thought we were going to lose some of our favorite characters. I thought we were going to like not get to see these guys for a while. I thought that some of them would get a happy ending, others might not. But, like, in reality, it ends on a pretty happy note. And I was kind of left unsatisfied because I wanted to be leaving the theater covered in snot and tissues. But maybe, after, again, I'm I'm actually watching it again tonight. We'll see how I feel on a second viewing. It was obviously a first viewing, and I had my own anticipations going wild. And with those removed and with me doing all the rewatches with all the characters... I'm hoping that it'll be that much more impactful the second time round. But Brent, what do we think? Yeah, I mean that's that's you. You obviously bring up a very good point there because of how Guardians one and two really like elevated what we don't get in these Marvel movies anymore, especially with these new characters being introduced. The way that we got Volume one was, I mean, you could kind of say transcendent because. Where we're so already used to a group of Avengers, and they're like, "Well, we're going to be doing another group of people that focus, you know, primarily in space." And I, I thought it was very impressive uh, with the first Guardians, and it's shocking that Volume One was nine years ago. Like, it's been a long time since we've gotten between these. That's one thing we haven't fully talked about too much. But getting into Volume Two with with the emotional core of how that film is, and you know me and my daddy issues, that movie just really kills. And then the moment you hear Cat Stevens' father and son play at the end, you're just like, oh, yep, not recovering from this one, folks. I'll come back next year. Um, it it was it allowed yourself to kind of really create 
the anticipation for this film and and i thought it delivered in all the areas that it, it needed to be it, it was very very good in that regard i think james gunn is the only one that can do these films and i think that's why it was a great idea to kind of close it here and not have a fourth because sometimes i can get a little too choppy mm-hmm. um but yeah it was exciting to see these you know this gain of of galaxy f- space fighters once more and we're my issues come from you know a line of just more so in expectations obviously with right. uh its storyline with rocket i i thought this whole time he was going to you know spoilers here uh we we all thought he was going to to move on and pass I and i didn't think so i didn't think rocket well, was gonna go i thought once, drax was gonna die yeah once once Dave he Bautista was like, Dave Bautista, out, like i don't want to do this anymore and i thought maybe we'd lose this version of Gamora. I thought we would have like some devastating losses and we're going to just do spoilers right away, by the way. So don't definitely don't listen to this if you're not ready to be spoiled. But when they introduced those kids and how Drax could communicate them, you looked at me and you were like, Drax is going to sacrifice himself for the kids. And he doesn't and like And I was like, it would have been a perfect send off. There were so many things that could have made this movie better that I thought about after the fact. There was that instance. There was the fact that I really just thought they should have found a way to get Gamora her memories back. Like, I thought was with Mantis one. and her powers and the fact that they actually said that there was, like, ways for her to tamper with her mind in that sense, that she was going to just, like, snap her back into the reality, like, into position of remembering all this stuff with the Guardians. I was really hoping for that because we lost a a bit of that chemistry with not having Gamora being the same, like, will she, won't she kind of thing with Peter and time, uh, type of thing. And the, and like, and then the other big character issue was because of the lack of rocket for two thirds of the movie, we lose that aspect of the guardians chemistry as well for a lot of the movie. And, don't get me wrong. The fact that they find they made the first two movies very much about Peter Quill, and that's very evident after watching those movies. But when they sold this third one on Rocket and at like being Rocket's movie and his origin and his redemption and like it was going to be his story, I genuinely thought they were going to make him the main character of this movie, and it is not. It is still a Peter Quill movie for two thirds of the movie, almost the entirety, because this is a movie about him protecting his new family and then coming to terms with his past as well. But then you have rocket who, again, this is they sold. We literally at our theater have a popcorn bucket that only features rocket raccoon. And he is not conscious for the movie for like the first two acts. And they use this to give us the flashbacks to his past so we learn about his his upbringing with the high evolutionary, which we'll definitely get into here in a second, sir. Uh, yeah, his okay, past okay. with the high evolutionary and like the torture he kind of went through and like why he's so smart and the way he is and where his name came from and how he escaped. All of that stuff. I thought they could have been doing that the entire movie while Rocket was conscious. Just give him some like traumatizing flashbacks, mm-hmm. make him into Tony Stark, whatnot. As they're realizing, like, something they're looking into is the high evolutionary, you could then shocking, like, have a shock moment where he, like, flashes back in that time. And then we also get Bradley Cooper doing the snarky, funny comedy, like, that shit disturber type character that he is, 
especially in Guardians 2, Rocket is so funny in that movie. And then you get to this and like he's asleep and then he's just like angry. He he he's hardly cracking jokes because he's on a mission for revenge. Like clearly. And I like that, but you lose a bit of the character in that sense. And so Again, other than those couple of things, I really did enjoy this movie, but those are two things I think they could have changed to make it that much better. Uh, yeah, I would now say... Now let's too. talk about what you disliked about the movie because yeah, I, no, I, I differ on opinion on this matter. Well, well, like you, well, like you said, I, I didn't care for... Um, well, like I was expecting the emotional core from it because we got it from... The second one, and I thought we would get that with this, especially knowing it was last. And don't get me wrong, when they separate the team at the end, that was a little that was a little sad. And you know, Peter getting to see his grandfather still alive was was really neat. I was definitely um, emotional more during like the rocket flashbacks, and then when we got to the end, I was just happy. Mm-hmm. And I get well, yeah, the reaction and, of sadness I mean, because they, of it's the end, but like it was a cel- it felt like a celebration to me. Yeah, they they I don't I won't spoil the song, but they played a really great song to kind of like close it all out to. And I think the soundtrack was was fairly good. Uh, not my favorite from the uh, three, but I thought this was a. Pretty, I, oh, uh, I like this soundtrack a lot because it's finally more. It's it was everything. It wasn't like you saw in the Zune that Rocket was using. They got stuff all the way up to the two thousands now, when before they were sticking in that seventies realm because of how. Uh, how like the storyline of the mixtape and then when that's destroyed they find the zune and whatnot and yeah, i also I, like how they tease rocket's affinity to the music throughout all of these movies as well even in the second one they're like showing how much he actually also wants like this musical soundtrack from peter's earth yeah. music because yeah. of how they introduce mr blue sky and then also he's like singing and humming along to the music while he's fixing the ship but so I, I did like that, and you're right. that It was a great song choice, and I do want to spoil it, but now that you've set that up, I guess we won't. Yeah, Um. and then the also the, the big thing, too, to me was, like, the Gamora and Peter Quill storyline. Like, right. I was kind of right. hoping that... We don't get a satisfying end to that. Yeah. yeah. Nothing, we, no, I wanted them together. So bad. So bad. Like, why is she in, like... Peter Quinn, like you're not. It's like, all right, see ya. We're friends, yeah, and like, we're friends now. Like, like they haven't. We never got to see it. Galaxy fighting quest thing with, with thing. Like it just, I don't know it, dude. It, but like, it's it, like it's they, fucking... they, they established in Infinity War that there is a romantic relationship that got established between the two of them. We just never got to fucking see it. Yep. Yep. That that that, that kind of made me very. It's kind of like, blue ballsy. faded. If you yeah. ask me. That so basically the reason for my, you know, my three and a half here uh, rating was because the the love st- the love story not getting what we wanted from it, um and and especially with teasing it for so long and like why like it just it was very unfortunate and maybe it could have it could just simply have something to do with the fact that the guardian storyline being involved in the Infinity War in the end game and not part of what James Gunn wanted that could have just been how we had to handle it and right. maybe pops right. pops in I those regards actually a thing but also i was just really expecting the more emotional core at the end um between the group of people especially with with rocket um but then 
there's something that we've come across with a lot of these MCU films, and that's the villain. Um, the high revolutionary, unfortunately uh, for me, evolutionary. Sorry, this whole time I kept thinking, yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the actor, Chuck Woody. Woody Awuji. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of him, of his, especially with James Gunn uh, seems to be James. Yeah, with James Gunn liking him. Hold up, this guy's in fucking John Wick too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw him in. He's like another dignitary that talks to Santino or whatever. Interesting. I just, I don't know. I he basically was overacting the entire. Well, that's kind of what they ask for from these MCU villains. Like, hearkening all the way back to Loki, the only subtle performance we ever get is Thanos, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I he just he every time he was on when in that he's a lot, he's yelling a lot. He's, <laughs> he's, he's yelling a lot, but he's he's in the film a lot too. Yeah, and because we when see he the is, younger, just, it flashes back from the yeah. younger and older. And it's just, it's I don't know. It was a bit. A bit too much for me. And... I liked it. I thought he played him very menacingly, very like merciless, like uh, you're unredeemable. I they, I don't think they set him up very well because again, I thought it should have been some kind of like story where it's Rocket trying to figure out who's doing some new thing, and it turns out to be the High Evolutionary. It's not just like I need to go take him out, sort of thing. Um. But other than like his character, I thought like beside well, along with his character, which I did like, there were a lot of other characters. Like I did start this off with complaints, but there were a lot of other things with all the almost all the other characters that I did enjoy. Dave Batista as Drax is the only time I enjoy him. He is perfect in that role. It's it's like a quintessential character type thing, and it's mm-hmm. the only time I can like really stand him. Karen Gillan as Nebula has gotten an amazing story arc over her five movies that she's yeah. been a part of and is now like one of my favorite of the Guardians characters. And same thing with Mantis. She's come so far. And I think the Guardians holiday special actually really helped this fact. But she has come so far as a character as far as like how much I enjoy her presence from Guardians 2 till now. And so that was great, and I loved seeing her. I thought Groot's presence was also really awesome. He had one of the most badass moments of the whole movie where he grows all those limbs and just has guns stored inside him, and he starts firing at everyone. Uh, There was just so much to love about this movie. I kind of found myself leaving my first screening, only thinking about the negatives, and that's why I really need to get in there and watch this again so I can, like, actually hopefully just, like, sit back and enjoy what I'm getting. But we will definitely see after tonight, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. I mean, I definitely, uh, after, you know, being with this for a week, I'd say it's it's going to get positively reviewed. It's going to make a shit ton of money. Everyone's liking it more than me, seemingly, which is what I've been noticing on. But I, I mean, I did. I did really like it. And by the t- by the ending, I was really on board with what they were doing, especially, like I said, the whole end sequence feels like a celebration of everything James Gunn created with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you get a little moment with every single character. And it's just such a beautifully heartwarming send off for this film. And I think, again, I just wasn't anticipating that kind of ending for our I was 
really they, the way they were selling it, I was really anticipating it being a absolutely devastating ending for our Guardians team, and it just it wasn't. And so that's that that, that is a good thing, but it's not what I wanted. And so I was conflicted. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's precisely where where I'm at though too, uh, and especially with just how much I enjoy the first two. This one had very high like pedestal to reach and that's that's just that's just for me no absolutely those are i mean like one and two for the guardians movies are top tier marvel for me so it's it made sense that we all had these high expectations and our own anticipations for what we wanted to see but you can't always win and i don't know I just I want to like this more, so I'm hoping that the second viewing does that. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, also Maria Bakalova and Craglin were really fun. Also, don't want to, and a Sean Gunn is Craglin. They were really really fun doing their own thing on, like their new headquarters nowhere, uh, for the little bit that they were doing. And Cosmo is actually a badass. She helps keep the like. She does the she uses her tech or telepathy or, or psychic abilities to kind of pull a Avengers Endgame moment where they're kind of like loading people onto the nowhere from the ship. So yeah. You don't say. Anything well, I mean, else you have I, to add? Any of your favorite moments you want to drop before we move well, on? Well, I, I think I think with how this wraps up, um, with Peter Quill now being on Earth. I think whenever this next threat takes place, he'll be in the position. To I think he'll like, be available uh, for the next Avengers movie is what yeah. I predict from that. I don't maybe, see him like, showing up in any, like in any other franchise franchise. Like part of me thinks he could be, because like, if I'm not mistaken, the fantastic four is going to be the film that leads into the secret wars or Kane dynasty or whatever. Maybe, maybe the Marvels, that. maybe, but like, well, that, that would be, that, that would be uh, too that, soon. Yeah, I. It, That's the only I one know. with like space in the situation. Like, was he just gonna yeah, be a dude with with like space technology on Earth? Like he, Star Lord ain't that special power wise anymore, especially on Earth. This is very true. He's he's like Tony Stark in space, but when he's down on Earth, he's like he's not even game. Tony Stark in space. He's just like a good pilot yeah. and has like a lot of smarts and people around him. Now he's by and like good people around him, and now he's by himself. And he might have some of his technology, but that just means he has a couple of guns and some rocket boots mm-hmm. and a universal translator. A universal translator. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, we, we're we're. Closing up on another uh, MCU film, and and now we have to wait a little bit longer because, like De- you said, the Marvel comes out in November, right? And before it was the summer. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> one of the better trilogies of uh, like character or like one of the better individual trilogies inside of the greater MCU, mm-hmm. especially when. A lot of us thought that Ant Man was not as great of a third installment. Yeah, I've already forgotten about that one. Well, yeah. I mean, they well. they got to figure out what they're doing with uh Kang now, so that's the route they wanted to go. 
go. I, here, little quick note. Uh, they should just beeline away from Kang and just make it Doctor Doom. Well, I mean, you can easily just recast him, though, too, because he's like this variant being. Yeah, where... I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. A, it's a... It's a I mean, I don't know. If, they, I don't they, know they did show us a whole stadium full of Jonathan Majors, though, so. <laughs> yeah. But we'll definitely see where it's Just what, pull, where, just where, pull where, make the Mandela effect inside the MCU. Yeah. It was always Don Cheadle. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> At least, I hate, listen, I'm not glad I'm not in that room to make that decision. What so, if, no, what if they just made it Don Cheadle? <laughs> Maybe uh, weird when he when he has to do his armor wars. Oh yeah, if that ever happens. All right, but now now that we're done with that, and like I said, it's our first movie of the summer movie season officially. We are going to give you our top ten most anticipated summer movies of this year. Like I also said up top, we have given you our top ten most anticipated movies of all all year. But this list might vary slightly differently, obviously, because we're only picking movies from, like, May to August. So, I guess, are we just going to go one for one and go back and forth? Well, start, yeah, start at 10 and work the way up to the top. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Let me pull up my list. Just riff. Um... Oh, no, here, perfect. All right, this, my first one for number 10 is going to be your most anticipated movie of the summer, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. I really wish I had my list for me to show you that that is in dead last. We need two. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know we were doing that many. Even, even, well, even, well, I told you, I was just, I was just going down the list. Oh, okay, 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 okay. There's even more like indie films that I would even put above oh, that. That's not, the, but that's not a summer movie. No one goes to see indie films during the summer. You want big blockbuster movies, and well, then there don't haven't rec- been. There haven't. I mean, besides the MCU, there really haven't been more bigger blockbusters in the summer than the Guardian or than not the Guardians than Transformers. And this is Rise of the Beast. We're getting Beast Wars. All my characters I loved watching growing up on. Kids WB or whatever channel it was on. I can't remember. Uh, but it just looks badass. The Especially from the trailer, we're getting a lot of cool Transformers action, and that's all I ask for from this movie. And you're all bitchy about the, like, human characters. It seems like they're really not that big of an issue in this movie. The focus is on the Transformers. And obviously I could be biting my tongue here by the time I see this movie. Because every time I think these movies are going to be about the Transformers, they end up not being about the fucking Transformers. So we will definitely have to wait and see on that merit. But I like animals. I like robots. I like animals that transform into robots. That's why I've always loved Power Rangers. It's why I love Transformers. It's why I like fucking Beast Wars. And I want to see Rhinox and Cheetor and Air Razor and Optimus Primal kicking robot ass. So one thing that we learned recently with the last two. Also, Pete Davidson is playing Mirage. <laughs> the last trailer. Uh, this takes pl- This is a sequel to like this takes place after Bumblebee and before the first. You know, yeah, the first this is after. before he meets uh, Sam Woodwicky. There, the there's just way too much visual effects 
and not enough. What I do mean, you? Oh yeah, I'm sorry they didn't build the actual robots for you, sir. What the fuck do you think they're gonna do? Like, there's there was no need for a cinematographer to show up to work on these set on these days. There's just no. no he need. showed up to the editing bay. <laughs> he was not on set. <laughs> um. Well, what better transition than for my number ten to be Fast X, <laughs> a movie that really oh, a fucking, movie that didn't make my list that really fucking suspends its visual effects and its cinematography. But this, I, this is, my uh, anticipation level is like so mild for this man. That's why it's at the bottom. Like yeah. I, I'm just I'm I'm gonna be there day one to watch it. But I mean, same. I I think the only thing that's gonna keep me excited about this one is how I'm gonna watch all nine at once. That's okay. that's where I'm at right now. Just trying to figure that out. But we'll see. I, a lot of a uh, lot of people say it's gonna end on a cliffhanger, which I don't think it has the balls to do that. Doesn't so. it? Isn't it getting a part two? Yep, the last one. Then yeah, of course it's gonna be a cliffhanger. They're telling you right there. Your number nine. Oh, it's my turn. Okay, that was what the drink was. All right. Didn't know that was my cue. Anyways, my number nine is a movie that I am anticipated for, but I'm also like kind of hesitant about just because of past records and also a kind of an iffy some of the some iffy casting in my opinion but that's the haunted mansion movie still very excited to see this movie still very excited for a lot of the cast like like Lakeith Stanfield and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Danny DeVito but then you also got fucking Jared Leto and I swear to god I've said this before and I'll say it again if he's playing the hatbox ghost like people are going to be so fucking pissed and like not okay with that at all and i and it's not even that important of a character in the lore of the haunted mansion it's just a very beloved character like guillermo del toro will tell you all about the hatbox ghost if you ask him about the hatbox ghost um and obviously bringing up guillermo del toro i i there's still a part of me that will always want to see his iteration of the haunted mansion that was rumored for so many years and had Ryan Gosling connected uh, to it at some point and just he never ended up finishing it. And then it met up, he met and made Crimson Peak, which was a, essentially his version of the Haunted Mansion. So now we're here. Now we have this version. And I mean, I like I I'm going to see it because I'm the Haunted Mansion is my favorite, probably one of my top three favorite rides at Magic Kingdom. And so we will have to check it out just to at least catch all the Easter eggs. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll see. Uh, no, the new, another trailer is going to have to really determine that one on it, but I, I like the, I like Owen Wilson in it. That's going to obviously get me in a seat. Oh, right. Uh, and Rosario Dawson. Uh, yes. I think the casting is a positive. We just have to see if the story. I'm pretty sure Rosario play. Dawson was Tiffany Haddish. And I, and I couldn't remember which one it was. And that's why I didn't say it. They're both. They're um, both in it. They're both in it. Oh, okay. Um, because like I believe Rosario Dawson like plays the mom of like that child or something yes. like that. Yeah, she's like the she's the person that is trapped in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eddie Murphy, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I don't have to spend too much time on. On my number nine, uh, shockingly, this is the one film in most of the summer uh, list that you see that doesn't even have a fucking trailer. So that goes to show you where my head's at on that one. But I have Meg too. Uh, 
<laughs> I like I like a good shark vest uh, in the water. And Jason Statham fighting a big fucking Megalodon again is going to have me there on opening night. I, I'm i excited for this one. Uh, I don't expect this to be fucking grand, but I just, I'm very, you know, excited to get back in the water. You think we're going to get shark. Rain Wilson to come back? But yeah, I don't think he survived the first I, one. I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm hoping within a week or two we get some footage. I didn't hear anything about this at CinemaCon, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed within another week or two we get something. I mean, it's, I believe it's a WB film, so we, you know, we're in the reign of a lot of those trailers dropping. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, Your number eight. My number eight is a movie that I just want to see and get over with. Because I honestly feel bad for supporting the lead actor of this film because he's a fucking evil monster person that just keeps getting himself in fucking trouble. Uh, but The Flash is a movie I just I just want to see. I've it, like the fact that everyone and their mother is still coming out and being like, "Wow, The Flash actually ended up being really good after all of the mess that w- was behind this the making of this movie, even before." Ezra Miller was kidnapping people and like assaulting people. This movie was just bouncing around from director to director because no one could figure out what to do with this. And they're clearly from this, these last couple of trailers doing the flashpoint story. And they actually found Andy Muschietti who could figure out how to navigate that in this new DC world and the way they're doing it with Michael Keaton and Supergirl and kind of just tweaking the narrative to work for them. I really, I really, um admire and i think is it's a great idea and it's just it's a real bummer that the person who is leading their movie and the person that is working opposite one of the most beloved batmans in the entire film history is a terrible person so it's just nothing i can it's just something i can't get past but i love the flashpoint story too much i really think we're gonna get a surprise reveal that there's since there's two Ezra Millers, one of them ends up being Eobard Thawne and is the reverse flash of the universe. I think that I hope they don't really use this to like at the end of the movie, boom, James Gunn universe. Just ignore that and move into it just however you need to do it. Just doesn't need to be like some kind of like big bang theory type thing. But we will definitely have to wait and see. And also it We've, I think I've definitely said this before, but it will be the last time I get to see Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne and Batman, and that is, that that'll get me in the seat as it is. That's fair, yeah. I forget that that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a case there. Uh, my number five uh, or number number eight would be Insidious Five, Insidious Five, <sighs> Insidious Five. Oh my God. Uh, I, I, hey, this this is a one horror film franchise that actually like really gets under my skin uh and lets it crawl and there's the only time there's ever a good one is when you have the right people involved with it and the fact that patrick wilson is also directing i'm i want to support that um in all of its ways so i i'm 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 just yeah i'm excited about this one they're bringing everyone back and the trailer kind of gives off some pretty good elevated scares um and every summer there's one horror film that really sticks out and i think this is going to be it i'd have to see the other Four or whatever. Well, I think I've seen the first one, but that's it. Well, well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Three and four are not spectacular, but they do give some backstory there. So, okay, okay. watch what you want. Woo! Gotta find my list again. Okay, then my number six math seven. 
my number seven, is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm so ready for this movie. James Mangold is the guy to make this movie. Uh, I'm very... The the only thing that I'm going to, like, have to forget about while watching it is just, like, it's not Harrison Ford doing this shit. Like, there, I, I'm going to have to try my best to ignore looking for the, like, CGI face stuff. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's good enough that I don't even notice. I just don't imagine it will be. But other than that, I love the story that they're going for. I love the tone that they're going for. I love that this feels like like we're we're another adventure with Indiana Jones, no matter how old they're obviously making like he is now. But we'll definitely see because the last time we all had this feeling, we got Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and that was bad. Wow. Unless you ask Chase. My number seven is the animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, very excited for this one. Um, I mean, been a part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for quite some time, I would say. Uh, not a member, obviously. Uh, not not really allowed in that knit. But I, yeah, I mean, Seth Rogen is adapting one that's going to really kind of, it just, it looks fun. I, I like the the animation style that, that it's bringing to it because it's, you know, the success of a certain Spider-Man movie also had that. So I'm I'm on board of that one. I, I'm just, I can't promise that I'm going to be watching these Teenage Mutant Turtles movies sooner than later just to get ready for it. But I like the voice cast they have with this. Uh, and I'm just looking to have a fun time, you know, cowabunga. All right. Number six. I can remember. Oh, uh, that this is Stoppenheimer. Just because... It's going to be a must-see movie of the summer. Christopher Nolan makes big budget incredible movies. It's a very it's a very interesting subject matter. And Care uh 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 Killian Murphy is getting like insane praise from like a lot of people so far. So that I'm just ready for. And, like the cast is huge and and perfect and I think the visuals are going to be like that incredible that people are going to have to see it on the big screen. I uh, will discuss that when we get to it. Okay. Um, number six is Ashwood City. Um, mm. anytime, anytime Wes Anderson comes knocking, I, I open the door. Uh, especially with the comparisons we have of this film from his other ones with like the Moonrise Kingdom and the Past. Uh, this one looks. Looks fun, and we're getting it a lot sooner than than I would have expected. You know, blinking of eye, we'll hear it in a month. So, my well, and my it's number five for me. So I'll just transition right into the uh, the fact that with the French Dispatch, I was really hoping for another just like Wes Anderson y Wes Anderson movie, like a Grand Budapest Hotel or a Life Aquatic or whatever. But the fact that it was like these three different vignettes. I wanted to see each of those vignettes in a full feature length movie. Like that's how much his style and his technique is susceptible to me. And so now that we're getting a movie and not only is it uh, a feature length story that is going to be like the only focus of the movie, it's his attempt at a sci-fi seemingly, which 
if you think about Wes Anderson's tone and him doing various different genres, like it's more and more entertaining. And so he's dipping his toes into this science fiction realm with space and aliens. And I am, I'm very excited to see how that plays out because of how whimsical it could potentially be. Plus, and I will add that this is another instance where we have a cast that they couldn't even fit into the trailer. There are so many big names. Yeah, and then the best part is a lot within the trailer wasn't even revealed, like cast members wise. So yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm bored with that one. My number five will be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, it was just reported that this is clocking in at two hours and twenty minutes, which would break the record for animated runtimes. Uh, and I am absolutely okay with that. I, I mean, I wish we can get more of animated films with a good length just to tell its story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this one's going to be very uh, well-received. It's going to make more money than the first one. And I, I think a lot of people are going to respond to this one. And I'm, I'm definitely one of them. I think it's going to be great. I look forward to it. And then uh, my number four is going to be the Barbie movie. That is just, I mean, I may be a 28-year-old heterosexual male, but I'm very excited to see what they got in store for us. And some people we know may think that there's no market for it. I think that it's they made it so that it's a market for everyone. There are going to be the innuendo jokes that are more for adults. There are going to be the jokes that are for the women who played with Barbies as children. There are going to be jokes for the kids. And the little girls who are growing up with Barbies now, there's going to be, I bet there's going to be jokes for specifically us with like Ryan Gosling and the ability he has comedically. I've said it time and time again, I want this man to do more comedies. And as long, I don't know what they're going to do rating wise still. Is like it officially a PG or a PG 13? Actually, I, I, I think it's going to, I think, I think it might be PG 13. They haven't released anything yet about it, but. Let me see. Yeah, the yeah, it doesn't happen. Nothing but yet. we'll know sooner than later because when we put these pre-sales up, hopefully. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. Um. Uh, that's your number five. Yes. We'll transition to my number four. Uh, Barbie. Uh, I'm very, like you said, I Ryan Gosling and, and Margot Robbie are gonna really sell this film. To, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how all the. The cast work with it and the audience that responds to it. Um, you've got to be a complete fool to believe that this is not going to make money. This movie is going to just run the box office dry and take everything that it owns from us. Um, especially if, and, and I think this benefits before as well, but I'm thinking if this doesn't, because we know Oppenheimer is going to have a big ass runtime because no one always does. If Barbie can get there at like, 150-ish and exceed at having more screens, that's going to be something to, to see. I, and I definitely think this is going to be a good midnight movie, like a show that you can play at 9, 10 o'clock that's just going to sell out. So, And also, I think this is going to run for a while. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I think I think this is going to be fun. And I think there's going to be more surprises in this one that we're not even seeing yet, too. So right. I'm good for that. Yeah, we still there's still like no plot that we know of but 
we will definitely see sooner than later. So my number three is going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I was already excited about this movie and getting an animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles big budget movie like on the big screen from Seth Rogen, no less, as a producer. Uh, and then they just started announcing who was in it. And then they gave us our first look at the animation style and the fact that the actual turtles themselves are truly teenage actors that are playing like younger versions that we will hopefully get to grow with into like more badass versions of these turtles. And I cannot wait to see so many of these characters, these mutant characters that we haven't been able to see in these live action movies that we've gotten just because it would be way too much. But that's the beauty of the animated realm. They can throw so much at you so fast and it's still like easily susceptible because of the nature of animation. So I I just can't wait. It's going to be amazing. My number three, I think, I don't know if I told you this, but I think I'm going to go down to Florida when, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comes out and watch it with my brother and sister because that's like one thing we always did growing up was we always watched these movies. Wow, thanks and for the if I, get, if, if I can take my niece with me too, like, you know, I, I, I see now she goes to these movies without yeah. me, but um, my number three is Oppenheimer. Uh, I, I, I'm I looking very much forward to this one. I think uh, leading up to it, I'm going to try and crush Peaky Blinders so I get all of Killian Murphy at once. Um, but I, I think... I mean, he's going to probably be leading best actor for a long time in this race. Um, and I'm just excited to see him get the recognition he's long deserved. And I also think Christopher Nolan is going to get a lot of recognition for, for some, someone that already gets it. But I think this is going to get even more. Um, I'm very curious to see the box office receipts for Oppenheimer versus Barbie. I know a lot of people are going through the wind and all this. But the thing that Christopher Nolan has never had to do was compete with a film in the caliber an excitement level that is going to be Barbie. So it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Oppenheimer is going to be just, it's going to be thick. Certainly will be. Uh, and I'm excited for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited to see Josh Peck. I'm excited to see Josh Hartman. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you're number two. My number two, that would be mission impossible. Dead reckoning part one. <laughs> Tom Cruise is, the summer oh, fuck, box I forgot office. about that movie. Yeah, that'd be, that, dude, that would have been uh, such a good bit if you actually did. But no, Tom Cruise is the summer box office now after Top Gun. He dominated, absolutely obliterated the summer box office last year and played literally into the award season in theaters. So I can only imagine that him returning to an already well-established financially franchised with Mission Impossible. People love these movies. They will go out to see them even before the pandemic. And so now we are getting the finale to what we believe is the Heath and Hunt story and uh, like as part one. And there's no way it doesn't make money and there's no way it's not an absolute action spectacle that we are all hoping for. I mean... Dude, base jumps off a motorcycle off a cliff. We already know this. Uh, my number two is Indiana Jones 5. And I, many reasons why I have this one so higher than you do. And I mean, it's just, I, I mean, Harrison Ford is a, a fucking G. And I remember growing up watching all these films with my, my grandfather and my dad. And just getting another one of these is going to be very exciting. And 
just recently uh this was screened in front of steven spielberg and he turned around and looked at the director and, and the rest of like the filmmakers of this and were just like and i thought i was the only one that can make one of these like he was very impressed with the final feature of that and I can't wait. Like, I think this well, is going to be. But he was also the guy who made the Crystal Skull. So <laughs> maybe that's what he was referring to. Um, right? I just, I, I want, for one, I think this movie is going to do exactly what Top Gun Maverick did last year. It's going to destroy the box office. It's it's going to run through Wait. weeks. I, 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 and I'm not saying this because I have it in a box office, but like, this is a film in which it's a long running franchise, it's a beloved actor. And it just it's going to target every single audience you can possibly think of. Like those are the three things you want in a film. And Top Gun exceeded that last year. So very much looking forward to it. I, I love seeing Harrison Ford back um, and especially in a role that he loves to play. Uh, he, he speaks very highly of, of her. Harrison Ford speaks highly mean, of like Harrison. a role that he actually gives a shit about. That's more that's more appropriate way of describing that. And and I, I, I've heard a rumor that like they're going to address the reason why like Shia LaBeouf's not in this very early in the movie so we'll i hope it, i hope that the very first scene is just him at mutt's funeral <laughs> <laughs> and and you're, it's a side-by-side side plot with him and marion ravenscroft you're uh number one. Oh, my number one is spider-man into the spider-verse is it into or across every time across Cross. Cross. Bro, I, I like try to give myself a little like word trick. I'm like in two, so two. No, that's wrong. It's across the Spider-Verse. Uh, we've gotten even more looks at it since we last talked about it. It just it looks like it's going to be exactly what we hope it is going to be, and that is a spider gasm of Spider-Man's and all these different versions. And uh, recently we Recently, we also heard that Andy Samberg is probably rumored to be playing Scarlet Spider. There's just so much to enjoy with, with like, if you have a favorite version of Spider-Man, you're probably going to see him in this movie. Even if Spider-Man, the, the like meme thing is might be in this movie, who knows? But yeah, we are definitely very much looking forward. Well, I'm at least very much looking forward to this movie. I've been looking for, I thought... The fact that people didn't go out and see the first one in theaters was an absolute fucking travesty and the stupidest shit ever. And it found its legs on Netflix and people fell in love with this movie and it won Best Animated Feature. And so I have to believe this movie is going to make money the second time around, especially right. with a better uh, summer release. Uh, a little question here. I might have said this to you before, but I remember I saw this in theaters on the last possible day. Yeah, you it. you waited. I I was like, I day one. Yeah. day one. I remember going up there and was like, oh, the last day this is playing is on Wednesday or something like that. And I was like, well, shit, I will watch it. Uh, but yeah, um, my number one. Uh, there's there's no shock here. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, the for some for some level like this, it's not just Tom Cruise, but it's just what this franchise means to me in terms of like my love and obsession of just spy thrillers um and the espionage side of things i'm i'm all for it and every time you watch these movies they elevate it to another level unlike what fast and furious can do this is just going to be 
so good i i can't wait and it was just announced that like it was going to get bumped up to, to the wednesday so it gets like some extra boom boom um i'm ready for it uh early clock in here is uh, there's no way that's real hold on early runtime said 185 minutes that's there's no way that's real um yeah i i'm on board with this uh i'll take three hours you don't have to stop me um yeah i mean we're excited to see the cast of characters within this one too um mm-hmm. I, I, I could just I, these are going to be one these are going to be movies that i will always rewatch when the next one comes out maybe i could try to find a way to watch these all at once fucking mad if you figure out that whole uh, like how to get that done you just let me know and i will join you um i I, I think we should do on a real note here as we wrap this up but like what if we did like mission mondays or something like that where like every monday leading up until see that that i would also be down for we we watch i did that pretty i did that with uh with all the when we were doing that like series run of all the fast and furious movies before the ninth one last time Mm -hmm. but yeah uh before we get into the recommendations i just wanted to show you this picture if you can even see it i remember i recognize that picture dodgeball yeah but isn't yeah, it, we, I'm pretty sure this is from like an ad they did. This isn't like oh. from the second movie. But yeah, Dodgeball 2 is happening, folks. The only movie I actually like Vince Vaughn in. That is just fucking insane, man. Wedding Crashers? Hello? Nah. I actually, I, I, I missed the boat on Wedding Crashers. I don't think it's that great. But if and let's go into recommendations before Brent's head explodes. You got one for me? Um, dude, I haven't watched anything since fucking last week. All right, I'm, fine. I'm draft so day. That's mine. I watched it after the draft wrapped up, wrapped up and Ivan Reitman doing doing a movie about the behind the scenes going ons of uh, an NFL draft and the way they're like, it, like I I don't quite know that level of tension, but I've definitely been in a trade negotiation for fantasy sports before, and it definitely feels like you're on that kind of level of in, of anxiety with like trading someone around and working out a deal. So I thought it was a very well-made movie, even though it might not be a great movie on its own. I thought the gimmick of being a behind-the-scenes look of an NFL draft was more than enough for it. So what I can recommend is what I was watching. I've been I've been kind of catching up on a lot of TV, so that's why I haven't – my letterbox is Well, I need to watch Ted Lasso when we're done with yeah. this. Um. So I, I usually try not to recommend TV shows unless I know, one, it's worth it, and two, like, you're going to get a second season out of that. And we are, in fact, getting a second season of this show called The Diplomat on Netflix starring Carrie Russell. Um, it's it's very much in the vein of those who just, like, you know, the Aaron, Aaron Sorkin-run dialogues, uh, the intensity and the high, fast pace of, like, what House of Cards was. But The Diplomat, it's, it's just – it's a very interesting look on – what an international crisis does for its lead character in the midst of like her marriage and complete uh complications and what the political future has for her and it just i don't know it's very addicting and i like the cast that supports her and i mean it's yeah it's really it's really neat i I don't have a problem with it that's just that's what i've been doing is just watching tv which is shocking yeah well 
So we it's it's TV and new releases as of recently. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, that'll be it for today's episode, folks. We will see you again after this, and hopefully get this episode to you just after uh, the Guardians comes out this weekend, so you guys get the time to see it, and then we can talk about it and spoil it, and you can listen to it. But for Brent and I'm Brett, this is the end of this episode.